Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. AINC programming is brought to you in part by Weissman Family Dental in Boulder, Colorado. For over 25 years, Weissman Family Dental has been providing high-quality dentistry. They offer regular checkups, emergency care, and a wide range of specialty services. They also have staff that speak Spanish. If you are looking for a new dentist, find them at WeissmanFamilyDental.com or call them at 303-494-0101 and tell them Audio Information Network of Colorado sent you. Thank you for joining us for the Thursday, May 11, 2023 edition of the Boulder Weekly. My name is Eric Levine. News, a delicate time. As pandemic-era programs dry up, Boulder County food banks struggle to meet increasing demands. By Will Matuska, May 11, 2023. Carolyn Drews has volunteered at the Emergency Family Assistance Association, EFAA, food bank for two years. The shelves have always been full. Recently, that's changed. During a shift in March, Drews noticed something unusual. There wasn't any tuna, which is usually always available. She also noticed less personal care supplies like shampoo and toilet paper. Quote, During the pandemic, it seemed like there was plenty of food and personal care items, unquote, she says. Quote, so very suddenly things have changed, unquote. Variability is built into food banks, especially ones like EFAA that rely mostly on donations. But these days, Walter O'Toole, food bank manager at EFAA, calls it, quote, extreme, unquote. Quote, day by day, it's a struggle to get enough food to distribute, unquote, he says. The food bank has seen an increase in visitors over the last few years. In March 2021, it was serving 219 people a week. By March 2023, that number jumped to 636. Quote, that's super concerning, unquote, says O'Toole, who expects those numbers to increase. Quote, from the manager standpoint, it's like, How much of this need can I meet? I want to meet it all, but I know I'm not even doing that right now, unquote. EFAA isn't alone. Food banks and pantries across the county are seeing a spike in visitors. Harvest of Hope Pantry has programs for clients both with and without kitchens. The organization's With Kitchens program saw more than twice as many new clients in March and April as it did in January and February. Community Food Share, CFS, enrolled 180 new families in its programming in March, which is above its monthly average of 139 since last July. March also marked the highest total visits at CFS since the earliest recorded data in July 2019. Quote, The numbers are concerning, and especially because we don't expect it to slow down, unquote, 
says Trevor Bossetti, Senior Marketing Manager at CFS. Food bank employees offered a number of factors for the rise in demand, like the cost of housing, child care, and inflation. In addition, pandemic-era programs have ended or will soon come to an end, leaving a gap in support. But it seems the end of Maximum Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP, benefits were key in triggering the latest surge in need. With less social support programs available and more people relying on food banks, staff wonder how they will keep up with demand. Hitting a pinch. At the end of February, the federal government decreased the pandemic spawned maximum allotment of SNAP benefits. For an average family, those changes meant about $90 less a month per person enrolled in the program. A larger family could experience $360 less per month in food assistance. In Boulder County, there are 20,000 people receiving food assistance from SNAP. Since maximum SNAP allotments changed, there's $53 million less going to Colorado residents statewide each month. Simultaneously, prices and cost of living remain high. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics found the consumer price index for food was at 8.5% in March 2023, after being as high as 13.5% in mid-2022, meaning higher prices for staples like bananas, bread, chicken, and eggs. But it's not just people eligible for SNAP benefits who are struggling to make ends meet. Colorado Center on Law and Policy, CCLP, latest overlooked and undercounted 2022 report found nearly 25% of working families in Colorado did not earn enough income in 2019 to cover basic needs, including food, housing, and transportation. The report found most of these households are above income thresholds that would qualify for public assistance programs like SNAP. CCLP also found Boulder County had the state's highest self-sufficiency standard, income required to cover basic needs without support, at $41,058 a year for one adult and $107,462 for two adults and two kids. Food banks serve people in many different circumstances. When Ellen Ross, communications manager at EFAA, volunteered at the food bank, she met a chef at a local restaurant who had shoulder surgery, but didn't have paid leave. He needed to supplement food costs until he could be fully functional and back to work. Quote, for so many, sometimes it's just an episode that has occurred in their life and they just need the help for this little stamp of time, unquote, she says. Charles Brennan, Deputy Director of Research at CCLP, says families often cut their food budgets because it isn't a fixed cost like rent, 
a mortgage, or health insurance. Quote, Families are having to increasingly look to other areas of their budget to cut back on, food being one that might be easier, not only because it's under their control, but also because there are food banks out there to help supplement those costs, unquote, he says. But food banks are scrambling to keep up with the increase of clients. The EFAA Food Bank has already seen nearly 5,000 unique individuals this fiscal year after serving about 3,500 in 2022 and just under 3,000 in 2021. With three months left to go this fiscal year, that's already a 32% increase. This demand culminates in people walking away with nearly 10 pounds less of food each trip compared to 2020, even as management moves money from personal care items to food and seeks more grants for food purchasing. At CFS, Bassetti is concerned about what he calls the, quote, hunger cliff, unquote, when demand increases so quickly that distribution can't keep up. Like EFAA, he says CFS is already seeing this as families are visiting more often, but walking away with less food each visit. And it's almost summer, a time when food banks typically see more visitors as families can't rely on school meal programs for kids. Without additional support, there's concern the chasm will grow wider. Quote, it's a delicate time period at the moment, unquote, says Bossetti. Jen O'Neill, Community Food Systems Senior Manager at Hunger Free Colorado, says food banks and pantries are, quote, really hitting a pinch while the need for their services is the same, if not higher, unquote, as COVID-19 emergency funds like maximum SNAP benefits, the Child Care Tax Credit, and the CARES Act dry up. O'Toole says when, these, when those supports ended, food banks and pantries were left to fill the gaps. Quote, having those assistance programs slowly rolled back and then seeing the needle move in the wrong direction can be pretty frustrating because we are not able to provide that kind of support at that scale, unquote, he says. O'Neill says the problem is not unique to Colorado. Quote, I can say nationally this is a really, really challenging time, unquote. Movement at the state. The Food Pantry Assistance Grant, FPAG, is one state-funded grant built to help fund food pantries in Colorado since 2018. Last year, $3 million was distributed through the grant compared to around $5 million the previous two years. For the EFAA Food Bank, that meant a $75,000 difference in FPAG grant dollars between 2021 and 2022. In response to the rising dependency on food programs, the state is expediting the process to distribute $4 million to food pantries through FPAG, which is part of $14 million in supplemental funding for food banks and food pantries this year.
FPAG isn't written into the state budget, but Hunger-Free Colorado is advocating to pass Senate Bill 23-27, which would allocate $3 million a year through 2027. This year's grantees will be announced at the end of May. Quote, We've seen the government stepping up in ways that haven't taken effect yet, unquote, says Bossetti with CFS, quote, but there is some hope that there will be some supplemental help there, unquote. Harvest of Hope Pantry started Tuesday evening hours at the beginning of April to reach more people, which Liam McClure, client programs manager at Harvest of Hope, calls a successful expansion so far. He says the pantry is not concerned about running out of food, but, quote, may be slim on certain items at times, unquote. Community Food Share is applying for more grants at the state level, including FPAG, and has extended its Thursday hours to serve more people. Since that change, Bassetti's seen more people attend in their scrubs or other work uniforms. But without additional support, there's only so much these community resources can do. While securing more grants increases food buying capabilities, those grants require additional administrative work. Quote, when policy solutions roll through, that makes a difference and the outlook improves, says O'Toole. Quote, when policy solutions are not enacted, I have no reason to expect the situation will get any better. Unquote. News, now you know, May 11, 2023. This week's news in Boulder County and beyond. New pickleball facility opening in Boulder. When Scott Flegelman started Boulder Pickleball nearly four years ago, he wasn't exactly sure what it would turn into. The pro pickleball player did everything he could in the sport without a dedicated space, like teaching lessons on private courts and starting a pickleball-focused podcast. After two years of searching, Flegelman is now opening a new facility on May 15. Quote, Boulder has a community of players that has really exploded in the last couple of years, unquote, he says. Quote, and the current facilities, whether public or private, are just not adequate for the demands for court access, unquote. The new 19,000 square foot facility, which will be located at 3550 Frontier Avenue, will have five courts and a variety of classes, workshops, clinics, and leagues. Flegelman wants the space to be for everyone, from beginners to pros. His podcast, 4.0 to Pro, is also gaining popularity as he gives tips on specific shots or strategies in 20-minute episodes. Quote, it's turned out to be really popular and fills the void in the pickleball space, unquote, he says. Courts are available to rent for $11 an hour per person. There's also a membership option for people who play a couple of times a week. The company will host a kickoff event on June 1 from 6 to 9 p.m. More details coming soon on Boulder Pickleball's website, boulderpickleball.net
by Will Matuska. Using AI for Climate Smart Agriculture and Forestry Researchers at Colorado State University are helping develop artificial intelligence to track carbon in farms and forests. Earlier this month, the AI Institute for Climate Land Interactions, Mitigation, Adaptation, Tradeoffs, and Economy, AI Climate, was established to, quote, leverage AI to create more climate smart practices that will absorb and store carbon while simultaneously boosting the economy in the agriculture and forestry industries, unquote. Because most carbon on land is found in soils and forest biomass, Francesca Cotrufo, soil crop sciences professor at CSU and senior researcher at the National Renewable Energy Lab, says, quote, when we look at how we can contribute to climate change mitigation by drawing down CO2 from the atmosphere, then soils are by far the best natural solution, unquote. AI Climate is part of a cohort of new AI-focused institutes under the National Artificial Intelligence Research Institute. The eight-person CSU team will develop AI-based analysis methods to monitor carbon stock exchanges and improve measurement of soil organic matter. Quote, Farmers can't manually survey thousands of acres of land every year, unquote says Shahi Shekhar, director of the Institute and a professor at the University of Minnesota in a press release. Quote, We're developing easy-to-use tools where we can show all of these measurements and images of the soil to an AI neural network and let it figure it out for us, saving farmers and foresters time, energy, and money. Unquote. The Institute brings together scientists and engineers from Minnesota, Colorado State, Cornell, Delaware State, Purdue, and North Carolina Universities by Will Matuska. Boulder Looking for Funds to Repair Rec Centers How to Fund Restoration for Each of Boulder's Three Recreation Centers will be a topic of conversation at the May 25 City Council meeting. Both the South and North Boulder Rec Centers, SBRC and NBRC, are about 50 years old. The East Boulder Community Center is 30 years old. According to Allison Rhodes, Director of Boulder's Parks and Recreation Department, all three facilities are nearing an inflection point, describing the SBRC building as, quote, past its useful life, unquote. The way facilities are built in the United States, they're built to last anywhere from 30 to 50 years, unquote, Rhodes says, quote, and so we know once they reach that age, you're reaching a point where maintenance is going to exceed the value of the facility based on asset management standards, unquote. But Rhodes doesn't want you to, quote, freak out, unquote. There are no plans to close the SBRC. Quote, we're at the point where we're asking questions, she says. What funding is available, unquote. 
Rhodes says the city currently doesn't have the money to repair all three rec centers and will need to explore options such as bonds, selling property, or entering into public-private partnerships. Residents can visit the city's Future of Recreations Centers website at bouldercolorado.gov slash projects slash future dash recreation dash centers to learn more sign up for email updates and fill out a questionnaire which is open through june 2 quote zero decisions have been made unquote Rhodes says quote there will certainly be a lot of community involvement unquote from caitlin rocket cupd seeks national accreditation the public is invited to comment as the CU Boulder Police Department seeks national accreditation through the International Association of Campus Law Enforcement Administrations, IACLEA. Accreditation is intended to improve law enforcement agencies by creating standards and best practices. The accreditation process is voluntary and if CUPD complies with all 215 IACLEA standards, it will be Boulder County's first nationally accredited police department. Standards range from crime prevention and community involvement to incident management, operations, and more. Newly added standards include duty to interview policies, which require officers to prevent colleagues from engaging in misconduct of any kind, and the use of a personnel early intervention system, which tracks an officer's actions to identify and prevent potentially damaging behavior. Jennifer Barry, CUPD Accreditation Manager, was unavailable for comment by time of publication. A team of IACLEA assessors will review written materials, interview individuals, and inspect facilities. CUPD will be required to submit annual reports and undergo regular reviews to ensure standard compliance. Comments should be addressed to CU Comments should address CUPD's ability to comply with IACLEA standards and can be made by calling 303-492-2971 on May 22nd between 5 and 7 p.m. or via email to jmurphy, J-M-U-R-P-H-Y, at iaclea.org by May 25 from Caitlin Rocket. Opinion. The Mass Co-opting of Native Medicines and Traditions by Gabriela Galindo, May 11, 2023. Proposition 122, now SB 23-290, Natural Medicine Regulation and Legalization, became law on May 9. The law legalizes regulated therapeutic use and decriminalizes personal use of psilocybin, psilocin, dimethyltryptamine, ibogaine, and mescaline. 
along with a team of other concerned Native folks, I've been involved for over a year in efforts to protect the medicines of our indigenous traditions from regulation, appropriation, co-opting, violation, and exploitation by Western capitalistic systems and people. I respond here to Will Brenza's article, The Psychedelic Succulent, published April 27, to discuss some crucial pieces he misses about peyote, a mescaline-containing cactus and ancestral medicine. My lineage is of various indigenous Mexican tribes, including Wixarica, stewards of Hikure, peyote, since time immemorial, Spanish and West African. I am connected to Mexican, Chicano, and Native American communities across the Front Range, New Mexico, and Tenochtitlan, Mexico City, and I am a traditional Aztec dancer. The following are my views and experiences in the legislative process and are not representative of all Native and Indigenous peoples. The history of peyote in indigenous traditions began in what is now northeast Mexico and spans more than 5,500 years, preceding European colonization by at least 4,000 years. Around the 1880s, U.S. states began criminalizing peyote, and in 1967 it was federally criminalized as a Schedule I drug. In 1978, the American Indian Religious Freedom Act granted federal protection for Native Americans, Inuit, Aleuts, and Native Hawaiians to practice their religions, customs, ceremonies, and dances. In 1994, an amendment legally permitted the bona fide and traditional ceremonial use of peyote by Native American Indians. Let's be clear. The burden to reverse these racist and discriminatory policies based on white supremacy was a result of Native people's legal battles for their inherent rights, not the goodwill of the U.S. government. SB 23-290 continues this familiar and historical pattern of systemic racism, disregard, and invalidation of Native peoples, cultures, and traditions. Native people share general values and beliefs that we do not truly own anything, not land, not water, not plants, not ecosystems. We belong to nature and have a responsibility to care for all life on our Mother Earth. In contrast, colonial and capitalistic systems privatize, exploit, and endlessly extract from ecosystems with little reciprocity, if any. Look no further than the global climate crisis and the Colorado River, named the country's most endangered river in 2022. SB 23290 has opened the door for predatory pharmaceutical companies to, quote, patent medical treatments or other inventions based on and or utilizing peyote, its derivatives, and or synthetic variants, unquote, as addressed in a joint organizational statement released April 26 by the National Congress of American Indians, NCAI. 
Native American Church of North America, NACNA, and Native American Church of Oklahoma, NACO. This is not a hypothetical situation. It is currently underway. The Native American Coalition Against Natural Medicine Health Act, based in Denver, released a statement on April 27 that they, quote, stand in solidarity with the NCAI, NACNA, and NACO to protect peyote from legislation that further endangers and erodes our constitutionally protected rights, unquote, and that, quote, passing legislation without tribal consultation ignores the legal standing of federally recognized tribes, which is a matter of constitutional treaty law, unquote. Additionally, our joint efforts in our testimony at the Capitol to remove mescaline from the bill was met with, quote, voters voted for it, unquote, and that it would be unconstitutional to ignore that. Senate President Steve Fenberg, the main sponsor of the bill, has been the most supportive in the legislative process, amending a federally recognized American tribes and indigenous community working group to advise on the misappropriation of native medicines, communities, cultures, and religions. Legislators nearly failed to pass the amendment, highlighting problematic issues and the lack of awareness on the crucial importance of having native people guide a massive piece of legislation that profoundly impacts us. This is especially concerning considering that SB 23290 creates a new branch within the Western healthcare system, almost exclusively based on the co-opting of Native medicines and religious traditions. Thus, over half of voters in a state of mostly non-Native people, Natives are only 2% of Colorado's population due to forced displacement, with minimal or no ancestral connections to these medicines or cultures, voted for open and regulated access to medicines central to many native tribes without consent or consultation. SB 23290 is unfortunately another prime example of systemic racism, Western extractivism, and exploitation upon native communities. Sadly, the law's lobbyists reflect pride in their bill and hope it will inform the legislation of other states that may soon follow Colorado's lead. Gabriela Galindo is the Assistant Program Coordinator for CU Boulder's Foundations for Leaders Organizing for Water and Sustainability Program, as well as a 2023 Colorado Water Fellow through the National Young Farmers Coalition. This opinion does not necessarily reflect the views of Boulder Weekly. Cuisine, Nibbles, Mom's Kitchen Table by John Landorf, May 11, 2023. It all started with lasagna. I credit my career as a print and radio journalist to daily vocabulary tests, four years of Latin, and many attempted poems during six years of formal education. I'm grateful to everyone who made me possible. However, 
only one individual is responsible for the fact that I've spent most of those decades as a food writer, food editor, dining critic, pie authority, and most importantly, a host, mom. She was Rose Mazzola Lendorf. The small kitchen in our home was where you talked to Rosie. I would sit there peeling potatoes while she smoked palmals and cooked. She taught me how to make lasagna and stuffed cabbage rolls because I was interested. Mom wasn't a great cook, but she understood to her Sicilian core what was most important about cooking. The food mattered, but it was really all about bringing people together and creating memories and traditions. I learned that people love you when you feed them. We asked successful local food professionals, chefs, pastry chefs, and food business owners to talk about their mothers. The question was simple, quote, what is the best thing your mom taught you about food, cooking, and hospitality, unquote. These cooking lessons turned out to be essential life advice. An appreciation for leftovers, quote, between running three kids to soccer or softball practice, there were not many nights when my family was at home for dinner together, unquote, says Sheila Lucero, the culinary director of the Broomfield-based Big Red F Restaurant Group, which includes Jack's Fish House, 928 Pearl Street in Boulder, The Post, locations in Boulder, Lafayette, Estes Park, and Denver, West End Tavern, 926 Pearl Street, Boulder, and other eateries. Quote, we relied on my mom's preparedness through the week, unquote, Lucero says. Quote, she would have our meals mapped out and ready for us whenever we got home. Not only did she teach me how to plan, she also instilled in me an appreciation for leftovers. The second meal made from leftovers is oftentimes a better rendition than the original dish, unquote. Offerings of food and drink. Debbie Seaford Petula is co-owner of Private Chef and micro-events company Whistling Boar, 243 Terry Street in Longmont. Quote, two things my mom drilled into my brain. You must build on flavors, never throw all the ingredients in at the same time. Take the time to layer the distinctive flavors. Patience is key. Two, no one that is invited into your home shall go without offerings of food and drink, unquote. Best done with whole foods and love. Quote, my mom was a farmer's daughter which formed the foundation of how she cooked, unquote, says Rachel Jardine de Martin, co-owner of Boulder's new Pasta Press, 1911 11th Street restaurant. Quote, each spring I looked forward to the early peas and small red potatoes in cream sauce she made. She knew how to use the simple ingredients Mother Earth supplied us, from our garden. My mom taught me that cooking is best done with whole foods and love." Unquote. Sharing your food with people. Quote, 
The most treasured lesson my mom taught me about food is the act of cooking with love and care and sharing your food with people, unquote, says Claudia Bouvier, co-founder of Boulder's award-winning Pastificio, 2438 30th Street, Pasta Company. Quote, nothing compares to the gusto of those magical moments, unquote. Cooking for our family. B. Rungtawan Kisic is the owner of B's Thai Kitchen, a Lafayette-based food truck. Quote, my mom always said, cook every dish you serve like you are cooking for our family, unquote. Open any refrigerator, make a delicious dish. Shamane Simons is the owner and pastry chef of Boulder's Shamane's Bakery, 2823 Wilderness Place, number 800. Quote, My mom taught me to be self-sufficient. We would go grocery shopping for the week, picking ingredients that would cross over several meals. When I was in high school, she was in night school. She left a recipe and ingredients for me to cook dinner for the family when I got home from school or sports. I still have the cute recipe book she started for me when I was 13 years old. It taught me to open any refrigerator and make a delicious dish with what is available. I use this skill daily to reduce waste in the bakery and at home. I have passed this on to my chefs and bakers." Unquote. She prized dessert above everything else. Lisa Balcom is the co-owner of Faro, 7916 Niwat Road, and takeout-only Pie Dog Pizza, 7916 Niwat Road, in Niwat. Quote, I think my mom has a lot to do with my interest in being a pastry chef. She always prized dessert above everything else and would take us to a variety of bakeries as kids. She also loved to bake at home, and I feel like it has become one of my love languages as well. Her enthusiasm for well-crafted, high-quality desserts drew me to having the same feelings towards ingredients and technique." Unquote. Local Food News, Sad Dots Diner News. We bid a sad farewell to the soft-spoken, big-hearted ringmaster of the morning magic at Dots Diner, owner Pete Underhill, who recently passed. A community leader, he was always a happy symbol of the best of 70s Boulder. Kim and Jake's Cakes, 641 South Broadway, has been reborn as Sweet Sisters Bake Shop. Sidney Klinkerman and Jordan Klinkerman, who worked at Kim and Jake's, bought the bakery and the recipes. Kim and Jake Rosenbarger are focusing on Kim and Jake's gluten-free packaged foods. On May 25, Chef Jorge Pedrianes will open Bison Bistro Kitchen inside Bounce Empire in Lafayette a 50,000-square-foot bounce theme park with bars, a movie theater, and a concert venue billed as, quote, the world's largest indoor inflatable amusement park, unquote. On the menu, bison ribs, elk sausage, and white chocolate prickly pear cheesecake. 
Coming soon, Day Day Up T, 535 West South Boulder Road in Lafayette. Words to Chew On, What Tita Knew. Quote, Tita knew through her own flesh how fire transforms the elements, how a lump of corn flour is changed into a tortilla, how a soul that hasn't been warmed by the fire of love is lifeless, like a useless ball of corn flour, unquote. From Like Water for Chocolate by Laura Esquivel. John Lendorf hosts Radio Nibbles on KGNU. Listen to the podcast at news.kgnu.org slash category slash radio dash nibbles. Entertainment, stage, new kid on the block. Happy Dagger takes a stab at its first Boulder production with Every Brilliant Thing by Tony Tresca, May 11, 2023. Theater is a lot like house hunting. At least that's what Todd Morton, founder of the new Boulder-based theater company Happy Dagger, discovered while choosing the production for the group's debut performance. Quote, The advice I received from my colleague when I was looking for a house was, when I see it, I'll know. And that was spot on, unquote, Morton says. Quote, When I drove up the driveway to my home, I felt it instantly. And when I read the script for every brilliant thing, I knew right away it was a good fit, unquote. Performed by Jacques Wilk and showing at the R Gallery plus Wine Bar through May 14, Every Brilliant Thing centers on a lonely child who compiles a list throughout her life of, quote, every brilliant thing she encounters. The idea is to encourage her mother, who was recovering from a suicide attempt, by reminding her of the everyday beauty in the world. Quote, a one-person show seemed like a good size to start with for the company, unquote, Morton says, quote, and the play's story was so inspiring despite the darkness of its subject matter, which I found very compelling in our current time, unquote. Morton has always used the stage to help him make sense of the world, but when he and his wife relocated to Boulder from Boston in 2020, he found himself missing the robust theater scene of his former city. Quote, I think there is a real potential for a vibrant theater community of the same scale in Boulder, unquote, Morton says. Quote, it's this beautiful liberal Mecca at the edge of the mountains, so I just don't quite understand why it couldn't exist, unquote. So he founded Happy Dagger Incorporated, a 501c3 company whose target audience is, quote, people who don't see theater, unquote, according to Morton. Quote, theater aficionados have their established theaters around here, but what about everyone else who was just around Pearl Street or tourists who may not see shows regularly? Unquote. By any other name. Inspired by a discussion with a colleague a few years before moving to Boulder, Happy Dagger takes its name from a line in Romeo and Juliet. Quote, Yea, noise, then I'll be brief. Oh, Happy Dagger, 
This is thy sheath, there rust and let me die, unquote, which Juliet says before killing herself. Quote, when I was searching for a name for the organization, my wife asked, why not Happy Dagger? And I was unsure at first, unquote, Morton says. Quote, it just seemed a little violent, and we're all a little sensitive right now, and I just didn't want to come off as too intense. I asked, I asked her, what if we want to do children's theater? And without missing a beat, she said, then call it Happy Butter Knife for that program, unquote. Though the group had a name, Happy Dagger lacked a space, a familiar story for many local performing arts organizations. A chance meeting at a Boulder Arts Council mixer led to a collaboration with Rob Lance, owner of R Gallery Plus Wine Bar, who agreed to let Happy Dagger use the space for its first show. After securing a venue, Morton held auditions to find an actor capable of portraying the demanding lead role in Every Brilliant Thing, who is on stage the entire time and improvises with the audience. Wilk was selected by Morton after several callbacks and auditions. Before moving into the gallery space for tech and dress rehearsals, the team spent three weeks practicing at various locations around Denver. Quote, I had heard from a couple of other people who had done the show that rehearsals are really hard if you don't start to get audiences in or have people in the room for the actor to work with, unquote, Morton says. So he hired several people to rehearse the audience participation sections with Wilk. Quote, it changed everything once there were people in a room for Jackie to play with, unquote, Morton says. Quote, and what I love about getting to see it every night with different audiences is seeing how they respond to the story and how that influences the evening, unquote. In an effort to capitalize on the success of its first offering, Happy Dagger plans to stage its next production in the fall. Quote, We're getting momentum from every brilliant thing, and since people are digging this, we want to get in while it's still fresh, unquote, Morton says. Quote, so be on the lookout for us to announce our fall project and come be a part of the theater community we are building in Boulder, unquote. On stage, Every Brilliant Thing by Duncan Macmillan. Various times through May 14, Our Gallery Plus Wine Bar, 2027 Broadway in Boulder. Entertainment Screen Portrait of the Artist Still is an Intimate Look at a Career and a Disease by Michael J. Casey, May 11, 2023. Even before Michael J. Fox was diagnosed with Parkinson's, he had a hard time sitting still. It was part of his go-getter attitude that made him a superstar while he was still in his 20s, to say nothing of how effectively it translated to the screen in all his memorable characters. It was like he radiated a particular brand of disarming charm. When Fox told his high school teacher back in Canada he was leaving to go act in Los Angeles, his teacher told him he was making a mistake. Quote, you won't be cute forever, unquote. Jokes on that guy. 
Today, Fox is 61 years old, still cute, still funny, and still in front of a camera. His latest, still a Michael J. Fox movie from documentarian Davis Guggenheim, opens May 12 in select theaters and on Apple TV+. At once a career retrospective and a portrait of Fox's daily struggles with Parkinson's disease, he was diagnosed in 1991, still manages to not feel like exploitation by employing Fox as a collaborator rather than a subject. It's the story of a plucky kid who rises, falls a little, and then gets back up to face another day. And if that sounds like a typical Michael J. Fox movie to you, well, you're not far off. Frankness has always been one of Fox's greatest assets as a performer. Playing exacerbated is another, and he brings that quality into still. In one section, Fox explains that his Parkinson's first manifested as uncontrollable tremors in his left hand, and to cover it up for the camera, he would constantly give his hands something to do. If you watched Spin City back in the mid-1990s, Fox's twitchy performance as Deputy Mayor Mike Flaherty felt electric, as if he had so many problems to handle he couldn't possibly sit still. That was before Fox went public with his diagnosis in 1998. Not long after, Fox returned to TV as a visiting doctor on Scrubs, suffering from obsessive-compulsive disorder. By then, most people watching knew what was happening behind the scenes, giving the performance an extra edge. Not that any of Fox's performances have ever needed an edge. Which makes Still's construction feel somewhat counterintuitive. Guggenheim and editor Michael Hart deftly edit together various Fox performances from Family Ties, the Back to the Future trilogy, Doc Hollywood, and so on, as if they are all B-roll footage accompanying Fox's memories. The shot of Fox groggily waking up in his mother's bed in Back to the Future is used to illustrate the long hours Fox worked making movies while shooting weekly TV episodes. But not even Fox's catalog has enough footage to fill in all the gaps. So Guggenheim cooks up new footage, cleverly shot so as not to linger on faces or specifics, in an attempt to blend in with the pre-existing footage. It almost works, but it also feels like a cheat. What isn't a cheat is Fox, his life, his love, his demons, and his diagnosis. As he talks to Guggenheim's camera, treating it like a friend he enjoys catching up with, Fox creates a welcoming space to tackle difficult material while having a good laugh. On screen, still a Michael J. Fox movie, will screen at the Denver Film Center and stream on Apple TV Plus starting May 12. Events, virtual book chatter podcast, Friday, May 12, 2023, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Originating location, shows.acast.com slash book dash chatter dash podcast, Longmont, Colorado. This month's book 
Quote, the writer's library, the authors you love on the books that changed their lives, unquote, by Nancy Pearl. 23 writers reveal the books that made them think, brought them joy, and changed their lives in this intimate, moving, and insightful collection that celebrates the power of literature and reading to connect us all. Illustrated with beautiful line drawings, the Writer's Library is a revelatory exploration of the studies, libraries, and bookstores of today's favorite authors, the creative artists whose imagination and sublime talent make America's literary scene the wonderful, dynamic world it is. A love letter to books and a celebration of wordsmiths, this is a treasure for anyone who has been moved by the written word. View the full list of podcasts and books about the Book Chatter podcast. The Book Chatter podcast is designed for adults. Some reading material and discussion topics may be unsuitable for those younger than age 18. Find Book Chatter on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. The podcast drops the second Friday of each month. Join your Longmont librarians for a new monthly interactive book club. Each month, we'll spend 30 minutes to an hour chatting about a different book. You can participate. Read the book, send us your thoughts, and then listen in as we share our thoughts and perspectives. To participate in Book Chatter, Submit your questions, reactions, or comments about the month's book in one of these ways. Email libraryadult.programs at longmontcolorado.gov by email, Facebook comments or messengers, Twitter direct message, or by leaving a recorded voicemail message at 303-774-4875. All submissions must be received two weeks prior to the podcast release date at the latest. Not all submissions will be chosen for inclusion in the podcast. If yours is included, it may be paraphrased, condensed, edited, or combined with other submissions. You have the choice to remain anonymous or to be known by your first name and last initial, e.g. Jane D. Please indicate your preference when you contact us. This program is funded by the Friends of the Longmont Library, a nonprofit organization created and maintained to actively raise funds for all kinds of library programs, services, and materials. The Friends are invaluable partners in providing the things that our patrons most love about the library. By joining the Friends, you'll help support the library and receive discounts on book sales, a newsletter, and a special library card. Make a donation to help support library program. Events in person, BVSD plant sale, Saturday, May 13, 2023, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Also, Friday, May 19, and Saturday, May 20, at the BVSD Greenhouse, 6600 Arapahoe Ridge Avenue in Boulder. Free. Come visit the annual BVSD plant sale. From basil to dahlias to heirloom tomatoes, we've got everything you'll need for a thriving garden. 
All plants are organically grown and pollinator friendly with help from BVSD staff, students, and community members. The event will be held in front of the BVSD greenhouse located in the Arapahoe Ridge High School parking lot. 100% of proceeds support nutrition, education, and farm-to-school programming for BVSD's 31,000 students. Thank you for joining us for the Boulder Weekly. My name is Eric Levine. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303 786-7777.